You're listening to a Sovereign Hope Church podcast with pastor and teaching elder Adam Vinson. Good morning. Welcome to our Sunday gathering here at Sovereign Hope. If you've got your Bibles, I want you to invite you to turn to Psalm chapter 37. All right, Psalm chapter 37. If you've been with us over the last couple of weeks, you know that we started a series going through the book of Psalms, not specifically trying to build week to week off of each other, but just kind of picking selected Psalms uh, that flows from our study in Ephesians, where we're told to speak to, to one another in Psalms. And so I told you that coming out of Ephesians, I really felt compelled by God to come to the book of Psalms so that we could equip ourselves more and more with an understanding of some of our favorite verses are found in the book of Psalms, right? But to understand those more and more in the context of how they're taught in the, the, the scope of the entire Psalm. And then being able to take that content both to encourage ourselves, but also to encourage one another, to speak to one another in these Psalms as we uh, traverse through life and go through different situations and circumstances, to be able to speak to those things uh, by leaning upon what we see in the book of Psalms. And so we've uh, already covered uh, Psalm 34, Psalm 100, Psalm 106, and now we come to Psalm 37 today. And so I want to draw your attention there. I'm going to read for us the entire Psalm. And then we're going to work through it together this morning and and really see what God has to teach us today. It says in verse 1, Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers. For they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself, it tends only to evil. For the evil doers shall be cut off. But those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. In just a little while, the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there. But at the meek, but the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. The wicked plots against the righteous and gnashes his teeth at him. But the Lord laughs at the wicked, for he sees that his day is coming. The wicked draw the sword and bend their bows to bring down the poor and needy, to slay those whose way is upright. Their sword shall enter into their own heart, and their bows shall be broken. Better is the little that the righteous has than the abundance of many wicked. For the arms of the wicked shall be broken, but the Lord upholds the righteous. The Lord knows the days of the blameless, and their heritage will remain forever. They are not, to put, they are not put to shame in evil times. In the days of famine they have abundance. But the wicked shall perish. The enemies of the Lord are like the glory of the pastures. They vanish like smoke. They vanish away. The wicked borrows but does not pay back. But the righteous is generous and gives. For those blessed by the Lord shall inherit the land, but those cursed by him shall be cut off. The steps of a man are established by the Lord when he delights in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be cast headlong, for the Lord upholds his hand. I've been young and now I'm old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. He is ever lending generously, and his children become a blessing. Turn away from evil and do good, so shall you dwell forever. For the Lord loves justice, he will not forsake his saints. They are preserved forever, but the children of the wicked shall be cut off. The righteous shall inherit the land and dwell upon it forever. The mouth of the righteous utters wisdom, and his tongue speaks justice. The law of his God is in his his heart. His steps do not slip. The wicked watches for the righteous and seeks to put him to death. The Lord will not abandon him to his power or let him be condemned when he is brought to trial. Wait for the Lord and keep his way, and he will exalt you to inherit the land. You will look on when the wicked are cut off. I've seen a wicked, uh, ruthless man spreading himself like a green laurel tree, but he passed away, and behold, he was no more. Though I sought him, he could not be found. Mark the blameless and behold the upright, for there is a future for the man of peace. But transgressors shall be altogether destroyed. The future of the wicked shall be cut off. The salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. He is their stronghold in the time of trouble. The Lord helps them and delivers them. 
He delivers them from the wicked and saves them because they take refuge in him. Now, don't worry too much. We obviously can't cover every single verse today. We are going to look at the entire psalm, though. One of the aspects of a song, typically, is you're going to see repeated themes through it. As, as, as we sing together on a Sunday morning, we're going to sing songs that continually come back to some of the same ideas. Even as you go verse to verse, a lot of times they're going to carry similar ideas. And so that's what we see here in Psalm 37. And so I'm going to try to give you a really good understanding of what's being taught in these verses, which will then give you, hopefully, the opportunity to go back this week and study even more in depth some of the verses that we don't get into as much. But hopefully that foundation, that framework, will allow you even further study uh, this week. Let's look starting with the uh, summary sentence. When we see sinful people prospering around us, we will be tempted to grow angry and envious about their situation. But we must remember that God has promised to bring an end to the wicked and vindication to the faithful. For our kids, even though some people who are being disobedient have good things happening to them, God promises it won't always be that way. When we see sinful people prospering around us, we will be tempted to grow angry and envious about their situation. But we must remember that God has promised to bring an end to the wicked and vindication to the faithful. This psalm here in 37 is an acrostic psalm, which is uh, a teaching aid for the, the original readers to be able to memorize it. By acrostic, we mean that each section of this psalm starts with the, the letter of the Hebrew alphabet in sequential order. So if you're a Hebrew child or a Hebrew young person that's reading this and trying to commit this to memory, it would have made very much sense for you as you worked through it to see each section starting with the next letter in your alphabet. So it would have been easy to memorize. Um, it's a psalm that's worth memorizing because of the purpose of it. Now, remember, we've talked before that even our songs uh, have varying audiences that we sing to, right? So sometimes we sing to God. Sometimes we sing about God. And then sometimes we're singing encouragement to one another, this is one of those psalms that would fall into the category of content that is to be directed to each other about who God is. It's a means of encouraging each other, spurring each other on to faithfulness, perseverance in our faith because of who God is. And so it's that type of psalm that we see here. Uh, the content meant to sustain us and also equipping us to help sustain others as well. Now, as you see in this uh, summary sentence, this psalm, helps us wrestle with this question, why do good things happen to bad people? Why do good things happen to bad people? Now, we've all heard the criticism towards Christianity about why do bad things happen to supposedly good people, right? Why do bad things happen to people who are following Jesus or seemingly trying to follow Jesus and be obedient to him? Why would bad things then happen? Why do Christians suffer? And that's a hard thing for some people to, to, to grapple with. And, and some people even abandon the faith and leave the faith for that, right? I was talking to an individual this week who um, looked right at me and said, I would be lying to you if I identified as a Christian. He said, I don't. He said, there was a time in my life where certain things happened that have kept me in a position now of, of doubting and, and really uh, failing to believe that all of this is true. And he said, I want my kids around. And he said, I, I, I see the value of the morals of what you're believing and what you're teaching. He said, but I don't identify this way because of things that happened to me in my past. And we've talked about this before, that people walk away from the faith, not because all of a sudden new evidence is produced that disproves Christianity. It's more of a dissatisfaction with what they're experiencing in Christianity, right? And so this psalm helps us grapple with this question, not why do bad things happen to good people, but why do good things happen to bad people? You remember we looked at this dilemma before in the book of Habakkuk, right? When we were going through the minor prophets, Habakkuk draws upon this as well because he's crying out to God saying, judge us for our sin. And God responds and says, I am. I'm going to send a nation to do that for you. And then Habakkuk kind of backtracks and says, whoa, like, why would we use an even worse nation to judge our sin? Like, you should be judging them too. And God comes back around and talks about how they too will get what they deserve as well. But uh, the whole book is kind of cloaked in this idea of God works in mysterious ways. His grace and his mercy and his vindication and his faithfulness will be seen in the end, even if it's not always seen 
in the immediate. Psalms 37 gives us guidance on how to handle what we're going to see is a real temptation to grow angry and to take action when we see this happening around us, okay? So not only does this address the, the topic overall, well, why, does, uh, why do good things happen to bad people? But it also helps us know, how do I respond? Because there's going to be a real temptation, and you have probably experienced this before, a real temptation to get angry when we see this happening. And if we're not careful to allow that anger to cause us to take action in response because we're dissatisfied with our circumstances in comparison to somebody else's. Now, this could, this could run a, 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 across a large spectrum of not as serious stuff to far more serious stuff or far more important stuff, right? So less serious stuff where we might feel some type of resentment towards somebody else is why does that person's football team win and my, my football team doesn't, right? Or why does that individual make a team and why, does, why, did, why did I not? Or why did my kid not? Or here's one that I struggle with is why is that individual shooting deer and I'm not, right? So I'm in this group message with everybody that hunts on the lease in Sonoy that I'm on. And, you know, every, every Saturday I go and I'll hunt, and then I'll leave the stand earlier than others to go study for the sermon, right? And there's been numerous times where I'm sitting at Chick-fil-A studying, and my phone starts dinging, ding, ding, pictures of people that are shooting deer, right? And I look at it, and, and every, every fleshly thing that's left in me that God hasn't sanctified looks at that and says, that's not fair, right? Like, like I only got down because I came to study the Bible, right? Like, why am I not, why am I not killing a deer, but these individuals who don't go to church are killing deer, right? So that's less serious stuff, but still very real, a temptation for us to resent the circumstances that we have versus the circumstances of another. But then those things grow, right? More serious situations where we look at it and say, why is that individual getting accepted to a college that I'm not getting accepted to? Or why is that individual getting a job, a promotion that I wanted that I'm not getting? Why is that individual being given a spouse when I've been praying long and hard for a spouse? Why does that individual have uh, a, a baby being given to them when I'm not being given a child? I mean, that's one of the questions that I'll probably want to know um, from God early on in my time in heaven is, why are there faithful Christian couples who desire children that are never given children? And then you see other couples who are wicked and evil that are seemingly given children all of the time. Right? I look at that and I say, I don't, I don't understand. I don't get that. And this is what this psalm is written for. It's to help us, it's to help us grapple with that. Why do, why do the wicked seemingly prosper and oftentimes the Christians seemingly suffer? Why does that happen, right? Why does that happen? Um, I think the enemy would love, would love for us to uh, focus on the success and happiness of evildoers because it leads us into this mindset of, is this paying off for me to follow Jesus, right? It's this, uh, this mindset that we get into, and I think Satan thrives on this. He loves for us to focus our attention on the success and happiness of evildoers because it leads us into this mindset of, is this a paying off approach to my faith? Right? Is this paying off? Am I, is this worth following Jesus? If I'll see other people getting what I want, why would I keep doing this? Why would I keep following Jesus if, if it's not giving me the things that I want and the people who aren't following Jesus seemingly get everything that I want? And as I was studying, I, I would encourage you with this fact. Uh, one, don't discount the fact that if Satan is allowed to take things from a Job, he is probably also allowed to give things to fill in the blank of somebody in your life for the purposes of growing your faith, right? Let me say that again. We know, right, and I don't have a biblical example to go to for what I'm suggesting, but we know that Job had a lot of blessings Satan and God have a conversation. God permits Satan to take things from Job. Why? To make evident his faith, right? Because God says, uh, I believe that you take everything from Job, he will, still, he will still submit to me. He will still love me. He will still follow me, right? 
Satan says, oh, I'd love to see that because he's only doing it because you've given him everything, right? Don't discount the fact that, that there couldn't be scenarios where there's conversations happening where, where Satan may say, you know what? If we give everything to somebody in your life, you will doubt the goodness of God. You will question the validity and love of God because you'll see someone else having everything, right? Don't discount that 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 may not be something that's happening around you for faith purposes, right? Job's faith was made evident because everything was taken from him and he still said, I follow Jesus, I follow God, right? Don't discount the fact that, that, that other people may be given everything in your life so that you can turn and say, I still follow God even though I feel like I'm absent I'm missing the things that I desire, right? The longevity of our faithfulness is at stake here. Will we keep making faithful, right decisions even if it doesn't lead to immediate earthly success? Let me say that again. The longevity of our faithfulness is at stake here. Will we keep making faithful, right decisions even if it doesn't lead to immediate earthly success? There's two groups of people in this psalm the faithful and the wicked, and both are viewed from God's knowledge of their condition, meaning God knows who these two people groups are, and God sees them with the end in mind. And this is helpful, too, because you know, we, we sang about the unfaithful coming, and yet we read here in Psalm 37 where we are identified as blameless people, right? And if we're not careful, we read that and we say, well, I don't, I don't, I don't think I'm in one of these groups. Like, I don't identify as this wicked and uh, you know anti-god group but gosh i don't always see myself as this blameless group don't lose sight of the fact that in ephesians what did we see in ephesians we saw that he sees us as seated in the heavenly places with christ already that's how we are identified are we unfaithful right now absolutely right? all of us have been unfaithful at various times this week and we come as unfaithful to him and he receives us as faithful not because of what we did this week, but because of what Christ already accomplished for us, right? So when we read about being the blameless, I mean, don't lose sight of the fact that you can identify as that and not feel proud about it at all, because by identifying as part of the blameless, you are blameless because of Christ, right? And that is Christ exalting to identify with the blameless, because what you are saying is, I am blameless because I'm clothed in that robe that we sang about today that's been given to us, right? So two groups of people here, the faithful and the wicked, how do we understand the success of one and the seemingly failures of the other? Of the other? I mean, this first word here, it's kind of a funny word, right? Fret. Um, I told somebody that I was speaking on Psalm 37 this week, and they were like, why not? I mean, it starts with the word fret. Like, you have to start, or you have to teach this psalm, right? What does that word mean, fret or fretting? Um, it carries the idea of burning or heating up, right? It, it, it's an arousal. Right? And so the idea here is that we don't fret or we don't uh, ignite or burn up or heat up. Because what that means is it leads us into a state of worry or resentment, jealousy, and self-pity. Right? When we fret, we are focusing on externals, particularly about what's happening to others and what's happening to us. And there's self-pity attached to it because we feel like we're getting things or not getting things that we deserve. We feel like everybody else is getting what we want, right? And it leads to jealousy. And we'll see in, in the Psalms too, if we're not careful, it leads to anger as well. I think there's two uh, or four key verses that I want us to really hone in on that I think really uh, reflects every other verse uh, that we see here. And that's verses one and two and verses five and six. One and two, fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Right? The idea of being there that we don't, we don't long to be an evildoer, to get the things that evildoers have, because their success is temporary. And then verse 5 and 6, commit your way to the Lord, trust in him, and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. The idea here being that we stay faithful, that we stay faithful to the very end, realizing that in the end, we will see the state of both these groups of people uh, endure for eternity, right? So what we're seeing right now is a temporary state where the wicked look successful, the faithful look 
like they're, they're failures, right, in the midst of struggling and trials, right? There's coming a day where those, those conditions will be flipped, and they will be eternally flipped, right? We're temporarily in this state. There's coming a state where it will be eternal, right? Far better to be on the eternal state than on this state, right? Um, we've been talking about college football in our group. I've been telling our group with Georgia and Alabama playing yesterday, I'd much rather lose last night and win the rematch that's coming in a few weeks, right? Let's flip it. Let's flip it, right? And, and we'll, we'll be in the one where we're crowned national champions and not just SEC champions, all right? Let's look at uh, three points this morning. If you're not a football guy, I'm sorry. I'll try to steer clear of other football analogies today. All right, uh, let's see here. Point number one, don't envy the wicked's present prosperity. Number one, don't envy the wicked's present prosperity. Underneath that, we need to concentrate less on what is happening. Concentrate less on what is happening. The temporary nature of others' earthly prosperity. We want to focus less on that. Don't worry or become desirous of evildoers and their outcomes. It's like being envious of the fatted calf or the pig being led to slaughter, right? It's like, it's, like, it's like us being envious of a calf or a pig that's on his way to slaughter. You think about the, um, the Charlotte's Web story, right? Like Wilbur's getting all of these awards. He's getting all of these accolades, all this attention. But you don't see any of the barnyard animals saying, I want to be Wilbur, right? Because all the barnyard animals realize, and we're trying to save that guy from slaughter, Right? Like nobody wants to be him, even with all the attention he's getting in the story, because everybody's still in the back going, that dude's dead. Like they're going to eat him. Right? That's what it's like for us to be envious of the evildoer. Right? Like we look and we see, like, oh, look at all this stuff that he's getting. Like I long for that. I want that. And we lose sight of the fact that, man, they're headed towards the slaughter. They're headed towards judgment. Like whatever they're getting in this world, it's the best they will ever get. Right? And the best that we ever get in this world, man, that is the worst that we will ever see in the world to come, right? Like, like don't lose sight of the fact of what is to come in the end. And we're so prone to see the, the, the immediate, right? We're so prone to see the immediate. We lose sight of what's to come. Be careful of looking at others who make sinful choices in their life that seems to lead to success. And the temptation is to think that there is no judgment for those sinful choices and that we can escape if we make sinful choices as well. By focusing on the evil person, you are worrying about conditions that will not last. If you're only living for this world and the things in it, you will be powerless to fight this temptation, right? This temptation to, to be uh, fretting towards uh, what, the, what, what is happening to the evil person, to even grow angry about your circumstances. Instead, the psalmist would direct us to look forward. Those whose main happiness is found on this world are living on borrowed time. When the ungodly seem to be getting ahead and God's people are getting the short end of the stick, the eyes of faith know better. All right? Let me say that again. When the ungodly seem to be getting ahead and God's people are getting the short end of the stick, the eyes of faith know better. This goes back to what we saw in Ephesians, right? Where our hearts are enlightened to see things differently than for face value, to see deeper into things. And that's what, that's what the eyes of faith are able to give to us, is that, sure, things look like, like, like they're dire for the believer now, right? And they look prosperous for the unbeliever, but that's not the eternal state for how this will play out. The key being is that if we have God, and if we're faithful, if we're believers, we do. And by what, I'm, what I mean by if we have God, if we are in a right relationship with him, then we have everything. Nothing on earth compares to that. Psalm chapter uh, 73. So Psalm 73, verse 25. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail. But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Meaning like, even if you take from me my health, even if my health fails me, even if my heart fails me, if I'm in right relationship with God, I have everything I need. 
I have everything I need. Delighting in him gives us him. Right? So going back to Psalm 37, we're called to delight in him, to delight in his ways. In Psalm 37. Verse 4, delight yourself in the Lord. He will give you the desires of your heart. Be careful not to think that that by delighting in him guarantees that you'll get all the things that the wicked has. Right? By delighting in him, we essentially get more of him. Right? We're being filled with his spirit. We are understanding him more, meaning we are learning to treasure him more. It goes back to what Adam taught us from Psalm 34. Taste and see that he is good. Right? As we delight in him, we are, we are experiencing him more and more. and We are coming to see that he's far better than anything this world offers. Listen to this. When we envy the wicked, we are delighting in the wrong thing. We want what the wicked person has, and we miss the fact they don't have God. That should be startling to us. Right? When we look to the wicked individual and we see what he has and we long for what he has, we compare to what we don't have. We fall into this temptation of thinking, I'd like to trade, trade places with you, right? Like, I'd like to trade places with you. I mean, it's the, it's the temptation that Esau fell into, right? Like, I want your porridge. I want your pot of soup. I will give you my birthright. I will give you something that's far better than that because I want that right now. And that's what we do when we see the evildoer prospering and, and his football team's winning or he's shooting deer or, or he's getting the job that we want. We see those things happening. We say, I want that. And if that individual doesn't have God, man, they, they, they are missing the very thing that is crucial to our existence, right? As believers, we have that. We shouldn't be so quick to forfeit it. We need to concentrate less on what is happening. And then number two... Underneath that idea of don't envy the wicked's present prosperity, we need to concentrate more on what will happen. Less on what is happening, more on what will happen. It's this idea of a long view perspective of our heavenly inheritance. Let me just read quickly for you. I went back through and highlighted in chapter 37 for myself all these verses that contain the word will or shall. These are things that aren't necessarily happening right now from our experiential side of things, but are guaranteed to happen in the future. Look what it says, verse 2. For they will soon fade like the grass, talking about the evildoer. Verse 4, he will give you the desires of your heart. Verse 5, trust in him and he will act. Verse 9, the evildoers shall be cut off. Verse 10, the wicked will be no more. Um, Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there. The meek shall inherit the land. Verse 15, their sword shall enter their own heart. Their bows shall be broken. Verse 17, the arms of the wicked shall be broken. Verse 18, the Lord knows the days of the blameless and their heritage will remain forever. Verse 20, the wicked will perish. They, uh, they'll vanish like the smoke. They will vanish away. Verse 22, for those blessed by the Lord shall inherit the land. Verse 24, though he fail, he shall not be cast headlong. Talking about the believer. For the Lord upholds his hand. Turn away from evil and do good, verse 27, so shall you dwell forever. For the Lord loves justice, he will not forsake his saints. They are preserved forever, but the children of the wicked shall be cut off. The righteous shall inherit the land and dwell upon it forever. Verse 33, the Lord will not abandon him to his power or let him be condemned when he is brought to trial. Talking about the believer. Verse 34, wait for the Lord and keep his way and he will exalt you to inherit the land. Verse 38, but transgressors shall be altogether destroyed. The future of the wicked shall be cut off. We need to flip our focus. We're so prone to focus on what is happening now, and we need to focus on what will happen and allow the will happen to shape what we do now, to shape what we value as important, to value the things that we pursue correctly. We focus on the things that will happen. The current arrangements of success for the wicked and anything less for the faithful is temporary. The current arrangements of success for the wicked and anything less than success for the faithful, that's temporary. The psalmist would encourage us to be patient and wait for things to play out, to maintain a focus on him and not what is happening around you. So we fight this temptation to envy the wicked 
by lifting up our eyes and looking to the future. He talks about these, these trees that, that look successful and then they're, they're done away with and there's no sign of them anymore. It's kind of like weeds that pop up in your grass that look like they're thriving and they, they pop up earlier in the spring than your lawn does, right? They start to sprout and show forth fruit. I mean, you come by and pick them and they're gone. I mean, I love doing that. I love ripping weeds out of, out of my yard or out of my flower or out of our flower beds. Like I, I like to ruin what they're trying to do and that's to ruin my flower bed. I love pulling those things out, right? Just get rid of them, right? They're temporary, right? They're temporary. They look great maybe to the eye, but they're not going to last. It's kind of like the difference between annuals and perennials when you go to Home Depot. I don't know why people buy annuals. Like I don't know why you would buy something that you know is going to die and it's not going to come back, right? They look really pretty in the store, but I'm the type of guy, I'm going to make a good investment. I'm going to buy the perennials. I want the ones that come back every year. I'm going to buy you one time, and then you're going to be beautiful for me forever, right? Not just for one year. Because the, the, the annuals, they look great, then they die off and they're done with. I want the perennials. I want the ones that keep coming back, right? And so as the faithful, man, the wicked, temporary success, looks pretty, looks fantastic, looks glitzy. It's temporary. It doesn't last. It's not going to endure. Our inheritance is coming. The land focus. There's lots of talk about inheriting the land. Unless we lose sight of the fact of thinking that this is, oh, this is just for Old Testament people, right? They've already inherited the land at this point. This land that's being talked about here, it's a better land than the one being occupied. It's that mindset that we see in Hebrews, Hebrews eleven sixteen, right? It's not that Abraham and his, his kinsmen were really waiting for the physical land here. Man, they were longing for a better land, Hebrew tells us, right? a heavenly land, and that's what's being promised to us. Don't envy the wicked's present prosperity. Number two, trust the Lord with patience and contentment. Trust the Lord with patience and contentment. So stop worrying about what's happening to the wicked and how they're prospering. Instead, turn your attention to focusing on the Lord and having patience and contentment with his providence. So looking at verse 3 again, trust in the Lord, do good, dwell in the land, befriend faithfulness, delight yourself in the Lord. He'll give you the desires of your heart. Commit, I love verse 5, commit your way to the Lord, trust in him, and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light, your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord. Wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Verse 8, Refrain from anger, forsake wrath, fret not yourself, it tends only to evil. For the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. Right? Number one, we need to wait patiently on the Lord's actions to avoid reacting with angry responses. Right? So if we're not careful, we're going to get angry about the fact that people around us are prospering and we're not, particularly if they're wicked. Right? Instead of letting ourselves get angry about it, we're to be patient. We're to be still. We're to wait on the Lord to act. We demonstrate trust by doing good, meaning that we keep doing what we know we should be doing. If we trust him, we will keep doing right even when it doesn't lead to immediate blessing. Psalmist says we commit to him and he will act. That word commit carries the idea of rolling our burdens to him, right? We read about this in our C groups this past week in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7 that we cast our anxieties, we cast our burdens upon him. If we do so, what does he say? He says he'll produce righteousness in us and justice will be achieved for us. Verse six, he'll bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Meaning what? We will get in response to our faithfulness all the things promised to us, right? We are going to receive his righteousness. We are going to receive justice in the end. These are things that are promised to us. But if we don't wait patiently, if we don't seek contentment with him, we become the very thing we despise if we allow anger to swell in us. Right? He talks about refrain from anger, forsake wrath, fret not yourself, it tends only to evil. What's the idea there? He's saying, man, don't get angry looking at the wicked prospering because if you get angry about it, you're going to take action. You're not going to wait on the Lord to take action for you. You're going to try to fix the situation yourself. You're going to try to make yourself prosper, most likely through evil ways. Satan's ploy is to get us angry when we see a godless person with something we want. 
He tricks us and he catches us in that jealousy. And then he leads us to taking evil action to get it. If you worry about evildoers, you will become one yourself. We become consumed with bringing others down to level the field. That's what you see as you read through Psalm 37, right? The unrighteous wait for the righteous and try to bring them down, right? They use unhealthy, sinful ways to get their gain. We may not always see it. We may just see the prosperity on the outside. We don't know what all is happening behind the scenes. We're told from Psalm 37, this is what they do as the wicked. They seek to destroy the righteous. And if we get angry ourselves at the situation and try to take action ourselves, we become that wicked individual. We become the wicked person who gets led into evil. Turn away from evil and do good, the psalmist tells us. It's what being a non-wicked person is. We don't fret about the evil, and we don't become one of them. In fact, we treat people justly even when we feel like we aren't receiving just treatment. Verse 28. This goes back to the golden rule that we saw in the Sermon on the Mount, right? In verse 28, for the Lord loves justice. He will, forsake, he will not forsake his saints. They are preserved forever, but the children of the wicked shall be cut off. The righteous shall inherit the land and dwell upon it forever. And we treat people with justice because the Lord loves justice. We treat people justly even when we feel like we're not receiving the same type of treatment. Number two, not only do we need to wait patiently on the Lord's actions, to avoid reacting with angry responses. Number two, we need to give generously in anticipation of the Lord's provision to avoid misplaced values. Verse 21. The wicked borrows but does not pay back, but the righteous is generous and gives. For those blessed by the Lord shall inherit the land, but those cursed by him shall be cut off. We need to submit our desires to him and trust that he will provide for those desires or just reshape those desires for us, right? We delight in him. He gives us the desires of our heart or he'll reshape those desires as well and then give us the desires of our heart. But he talks about the fact that as a, as a believer, we're to be generous with what we have been given. And if we feel like we haven't been given much, it's better to have little than to have all that the wicked has. Verse 16. Better is the little that the righteous has than the abundance of many wicked. But even in the little that's been given to us, we're to be generous with it. The wicked are known for their greed. The faithful are known for their generosity. Meaning it's possible. It's possible for you as a Christian to be faithful, hardworking, and still end up with very little. But the idea here is that if we have him, which we talked about, then we have excess. We have excess by having him, verses 18 and 19. The Lord knows the days of the blameless. Their heritage will remain forever. They are not put to shame in evil times. In the days of famine, they have abundance. Even in the days of famine, they have abundance. Look what Habakkuk says. This is that other book that we talked about that mentions this idea of good things happening to bad people. Habakkuk three seventeen through 19, look what it says. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. We have him. We have excess. Generosity comes from being focused on the one who gives versus being focused on what you can get. And when we shift our mindset, we shift it away from what I don't have and what others have and what I want, we turn our focus to him and what he has given to us, it automatically just leads into this more generous mindset. I become less focused on trying to get for myself and become more focused on giving to those who are in need. Trust the Lord with patience, contentment. Number three, focus on his ways and the outcomes of his people. We need to focus on his ways and the outcomes of his people. down in verse 30 the mouth of the righteous utters wisdom and his tongue speaks justice the law of his god is in his heart his steps do not slip 
verse 37. Mark the blameless and behold the upright, for there is a future for the man of peace. Number one, we need to delight regularly in his word to shape our attitudes and actions. We need to delight regularly in his word to shape our attitudes and our actions. He says our steps are established by delighting in his ways. When we delight in his ways, our steps are established. It says in verse 23, the steps of a man are established by the Lord when he delights in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be cast headlong, for the Lord upholds his hand. So by being in God's word, delighting in his ways, it helps protect us from, strump, from stumbling into the wrong mindset. Right? It protects us from being jealous and angry towards the wicked. It says our mouths are to be full of his word because we're able to utter wisdom. <clears throat> this implies our hearts are settled first and our lips are armed to encourage others too. Right? So I take in this wisdom from God's word. I mean, it sustains me, it helps me, but then it allows me to speak wisdom to others as I speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Even when we fall, we are quick to reset based on our knowledge of his word. He says he upholds us even in our failures in verse 24. We delight in his word. Number two, we need to take note of the ways God faithfully cares for the faithful. We need to take note of the ways that God faithfully cares for the faithful. When we envy the wicked, we see only what we want to see. The psalmist would tell us to think about real life and mark the blameless and behold them. Now, this psalm functions a lot like some of the Proverbs in that they aren't always necessarily (coughs) an always reflection of how things are, but they are a what is a normal pattern. Right, So look what David says, and I think David's probably talking, David wrote this psalm, I think he's probably talking from his own specific experience. Um, Verse 25, I've been young and now I'm old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. He is ever lending generously and his children become a blessing. I think that's a normal historical pattern for God's people, right? David's like, hey, from the time I've been young to the time that I'm old now, I've never seen the righteous forsaken, right? I think that's a, that's a guarantee. But then he also says, I've never seen the righteous person's children begging for food. Now, now we know that, that Christian parents have had kids who've gone without food, right? So this is not a promise or a guarantee. But what David is saying is that hey, here's the normal pattern here. The normal historical pattern is God's daily provision for the faithful. And then that provision extends into the offspring of the family for the here and now. Now, obviously, his provision from the spiritual side of things is a guarantee. But even from the earthly side of things, more than not, that is the normal pattern for how God functions. His past faithfulness gives us that confidence about this future reliability, that the righteous are never forsaken. He goes on to talk about the protection that's guaranteed while we wait on him to act as well. Right, this idea in uh, verses 14 and 15. The wicked drawing the sword, bending their bows to bring attacks against the righteous, to bring down the poor and needy, to slay those whose way is upright. It says in verse 15, their sword shall enter their own heart, their bows shall be broken. Meaning that that God's going to thwart the plans of the evil and turn it on them. Like the weapons that they want to use to bring destruction against the righteous, they're going to be used against them. Man, you can't help but think about Haman in the story of Esther, right? Haman builds the gallows, right? And he ends up hanging on those own gallows himself. That's what's happening here. The Bible says that God will turn the wicked, the schemes of the wicked against themselves for the sake of the righteous. We focus on his ways. We focus on the outcomes of his people because if we're, if we're thinking about what is happening versus what will happen, we'll think that God forsakes his people, that God doesn't provide for his people. But if we'll step back and get out of the immediate and think about that long view perspective, how does God typically function when we consider the big picture? Man, he's, he's constantly providing for his people. Right? He's constantly being faithful to his people. In the earthly sense, that's the historical pattern. From the spiritual sense, it's the always pattern. He always is providing for his people. Right? And we can read about these characters in the Old Testament and in the New Testament who persevere to the very end, who are dwelling with him now. Dwelling with him now. We can't lose sight of that. In the immediate, it feels like the wicked prosper. 
The wicked will be done away with. Their prosperity will cease, right? Let me give you two quotes to to kind of process through, and then I'm going to give you the final points of application. Charles Spurgeon says, There is more of the love of God in your defeats than in the successes of the wicked. That's good. There is more of the love of God in your defeats, meaning that God will use defeats and failures in your life to grow you, to strengthen you, to further you. And he's loving in doing that. We've seen through 1 Peter how he uses trials and struggles and difficulties to, to grow us, to strengthen us. There's more love in the defeats that, is, that come from God in your life than the successes of the wicked. Second quote from Charles Spurgeon. Many who have indulged a murmuring disposition have come to sin in order to gain their fancied rights. Many who have indulged a murmuring disposition have come to sin in order to gain their fancied rights. The idea being there, the one who frets about the evildoer and his prosperity murmurs and grumbles and complains and gets angry and he's led into evil because he tries to take action to reverse course. Many who have indulged in murmuring disposition have come to sin in order to gain their fancied rights. All right, four points of application. Number one, be careful of thinking that you ever really get less than what you deserve. As we think about this psalm and we think about the faithful and the wicked and looking towards the wicked and what they're getting, we're so prone to think that we deserve more. That in some ways our obedience should lead to further gifts from an earthly standpoint from God. We've already seen from Ephesians, we have every spiritual blessing. Every spiritual blessing has been given to us as a believer. Be careful of thinking that you ever really get less than what you deserve. You aren't as righteous as you think, right? Keep yourself in check. When you want to compare yourself to somebody else, be careful of thinking that you're getting less than what you really deserve because we can all be grateful that we are not getting what we do deserve, right? As believers, we are not getting what we deserve, and we can be grateful and thankful for that. Number two, be careful of minimizing the successes of others by finding ways to make them wicked in your mind. What does that mean? It means just because somebody's having success in your life doesn't mean they're part of the wicked, okay? Like Christians find success too, right? So just because somebody else's football team won a game last night, they're not the wicked, right? And it's not that we can say, hey, the faithful will get ours. It's coming to us, right? There's plenty of times where successes and achievements happen for the righteous as well, right? But if we read this psalm, we... (laughs) The, the, the fleshly part of us will say, yeah, that's right. Everybody that's having success is wicked in my life, right? That's not the case. So be careful. Be careful of minimizing the successes of others because there's going to be Christians who are faithful that have things that you're going to want to, right? Be careful of minimizing the successes of others by finding ways to make them wicked in your mind. Number three, which you may not be able to see. There we go. Be careful of relishing in your successes when you may have become wicked yourself. Don't automatically assume that you're in the, in the righteous group, the faithful group here. Examine your successes. Make sure that you haven't achieved them in a wicked manner. Because right? this passage talks about the wicked will find success. They will find prosperity. Be careful of relishing in your successes when you may have become wicked yourself. And then number four. Remember the path to dwelling and remaining in God's land leaves no room for murmuring and complaining about his providence. Right? Think about the land analogy that he's using here, this psalmist, right? Think about all the Israelites that were withheld from coming into the land. Why? Because they grumbled and complained about God's provision and providence. We don't like our circumstances. We'd rather be in Egypt. Right? Tyson did a great job last week of looking at that historical perspective of Israel in the Old Testament. And don't, don't, be, don't, don't lose sight of the fact that Dwelling in God's land, remaining in God's land, all these promises that are talked about with believers, man, the path towards that has no room for grumbling and complaining and murmuring about his providence. And the faithful trust him when it doesn't seem like things are happening. We commit our ways to him knowing that he will act. I believe he's always acting, right? But we will see his action. We will see his action as we commit our ways to him. 
right? Remember, the path to dwelling and remaining in God's land leaves no room for murmuring and complaining about his providence. Let's pray together. God, we do praise you and thank you that you saw fit to send your son, Jesus Christ, in his first coming, a coming that we celebrate this Christmas season. Because we were evil, wicked people who deserved your wrath. And we were not good. And we did not deserve your grace and mercy and, and, and blessing. And yet you chose to send Jesus to be perfect for us, to be blameless for us, so that we could be counted amongst the faithful. And God, we long for Jesus to come again. And as we're longing and waiting, we see the wicked prospering around us. People who, who have no desire to follow you, have no desire to assemble with other believers in Christian fellowship, have no desire to commit their ways to your word, and yet they seemingly prosper. They buy houses, they get cars, they have jobs, they have spouses and children and money and toys. They have all these things that the earth promises are good for us. And oftentimes we look at our circumstances and see those things missing from our life. God, help us not to fret about what the wicked is achieving. Help us to, to have this long view perspective that in the end, all things are going to be made right by you. You are going to vindicate the faithful. You are going to reverse the course of what we are seeing in history right now. The faithful will be blessed by you. Not just in a spiritual, non-visible sense, but in a very visible sense when we are ushered into eternity for all time in your presence with all the faithful. And the wicked's prosperity will come to an end. So God, I pray that you would protect us. Protect us from longing to be in the condition of the wicked. Lord, protect us from longing for the things of this world in such a way that it would lead us to be angry, murmuring and complaining about your providence, leading us into evil ways to achieve the things of this world. Protect us from that, God. Protect us from growing weary of who you are as we see the wicked prosper. Lord, protect us. Help us to see that this is a chance for our faith to grow, much like Job had a chance for his faith to grow. That when you're giving stuff to the wicked, when they are seemingly prospering, that our faith grows when we say, even if we never get those things, we'll still follow you. God, help us to see that big picture perspective. We're committing ourselves to you. We're wanting to wait patiently for you to act. Help us to see the things that will happen and trust in those things. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the Sovereign Hope Church podcast. We trust that you've been encouraged by the word. For more information about our church, please visit our website at www.sovhope.org. Again, that's www.sovhope.org. Thank you.